really good to see our visitors always. Let's go to John chapter 7 while you're turning. Uh, many of you know and are asking uh, about our little deal this week over in Westland where I live. Very quiet, very safe, very all that. One officer told me, said, that's the safest place in Oregon. Well, in the middle of the night, somebody broke in to my garage, one side of it, and somehow managed to steal my Toyota Camry. I don't know how, but let me tell you about the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is a great story. I went out, and there was no car there. And I thought, did I come in the middle of the night from elders' meeting and do something stupid? I've been known to do stupid things. So I, did I leave it on the other side, and I went out, and I checked. There's no car here. Somebody got in here and stole my car. Anyway, uh, I'm a very light sleeper. I tell people I can hear a pin drop. I didn't hear anything. I was sleeping so deeply because I hadn't slept much the night before, which happens a lot. And uh, Aussie was even afraid I was dead because I was sleeping so deep. That's a good thing. Because if I'd heard anything rattling around down there, Clint East would have had his gun, and I'd have been down there. My reflexes to such things are not trained like a police officer. Who knows what stupid things I may have done. So the Lord kept me asleep, and Aussie asleep through all of that. I have no idea. Anyway, I came over to church, and I was t telling the story. Russ Johnson happened to be there. And I said, uh, okay, thank you guys, Brian, who we appreciate all that. So I, uh, where was I? I was in John chapter seven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bear with me here. So anyway, I said to Russ, I told him what happened. And I jokingly, I said to him, because we just got one car. I said, Russ, you don't have a car, do you? He said, I just had a 2021 silver Toyota, Toyota come in. I said, I don't like silver. <laughs> and uh, anyway... Aussie popped in about that time. She says, I like it. How much is it? <laughs> well, that's the end of the story. So anyway, he said, actually, it only has 13,000 miles on it. It's like new. And he offered me a great price. I hadn't wanted to get a new car because the prices, as you know, are through the roof. And so I got a great price on it. And I'm a happy camper. But I'd been praying like crazy. I didn't want my whole week, next week, to be suffocated by worry over this thing. Like a dummy. I'm not usually such a dummy. I had so much personal information in that Camry and so many cards, including credit cards. I said, oh, gee, identity theft. I don't know who mentioned. What am I going to do? And... Uh, they got the car that day, the officers did. It was up in Portland. 
somewhere, I'm not sure whether it's north or southeast, and I guess they got on the tails of these guys. They had taken a license plate off somewhere. I say these guys for a reason. And they drove it into a field somewhere, and it got it stuck in the mud. They didn't have time to go through it because they're running from the cops. <laughs> I got everything back. I got everything back uh, except one set of keys that I'd left in her. I wanted to be able to come back the next night. Anyway, we, we got it all back, had the locks changed, and we we're good to go. But the neighbor up the street, that same time, they got his car. And then I found out yesterday that a neighbor just up here, right up the street, they had invaded his home. I don't know whether the same night took, they took all kinds of electronic stuff. And yesterday as I was going out to come to work, there were, I'm exaggerating, 35 police cars surrounding a truck up there. It was the same people strung out on fentanyl. And uh, said they were in bad shape. Anyway, that's what I've been doing this week, if you want to know. I'm going back to being your pastor this week. <laughs> funny stuff. That's not funny. hope you don't have to go through it. But don't be a dummy like me. Leave your valuables in the car. I've been telling myself for months, Andrews, you've got to be smarter than this. I don't have time to mess with that right now. i got time to mess with it now. Okay, John, last week we didn't make it. So I'm going to read 1 through 17 again. We're going to review some of that. Let's go over it. And after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of tabernacles, was at hand. His brothers, therefore, they were unbelievers. We know at this particular time from the other Gospels, they were not believing brothers. They told him, hey, I'm going to paraphrase all this. Look, if you're this big deal and everybody says, man, you need a bigger platform. Not up here in Galilee, up north. I mean, this is like Broken Bow, Nebraska. You need to get out of here and go down to New York City, so to speak. Go down to Jerusalem. Get a big platform where you can do your spectacular deeds. And Jesus said, verse 6, verse 5 says, For his brothers were not believing in him. Jesus therefore said to them, My time is not yet at hand, but your time is always available. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm working on my father's timetable. There's a time for me to go. And when it's time, he wasn't telling him all that. But when the time comes for me to go, I will go, not before that. And I'm not going to go down and expose myself unnecessarily to all this hate. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. It hates me for one reason, because I testify of it and its deeds are evil. Anytime the truth encounters life, there's a reaction, encounters light, there's a reaction. There's a reaction then. If there's light in you, there's going to be reaction now. So just remember that. It's not your fault. It can sometimes be if we act like you know what. Jesus says, you guys go on up. I will not go up 
to the feast because my time is not fully yet. It's, in, it's coming on. And having said these things, he stayed in Galilee just a little longer. And when his brothers had gone up to the feast, he himself went up, but this time not publicly, but as it were in secret, he went by route less traveled. There were thousands upon thousands of pilgrims going down that way. The Jews, therefore, were looking for, were looking for him at the feast and were saying, where is he? They wanted to capture him. There was much grumbling among the multitudes concerning him at the feast. I said, Josephus tells us there were about 2,700,000. Those of us who have been there just can't get our heads around that. But that's why Josephus was on the ground. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Verse 13, yet no one was speaking openly of him. They were speaking on the QT for fear of the Jews. You notice there a point that I didn't get to make last week. It's still true today. When there's hostility to Jesus, it tends to shut a witness down. And when it was in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple. He began to teach the Jews. That's a phrase that Matthew, John, all of them used for the hostile Jews. The Jews, therefore, were marveling and saying, How is it this man not having become learned? In other words, he's never even been to seminary. He's never had proper schooling. He's never been educated. How is it that he knows all of this about God's word? Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, referring to his Father in heaven. Get this verse. I want to come down hard on it. If any man, if any person is willing to do his will, God's will, the Father in heaven. He will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of, by myself of my own recognizance. All right, we'll, we'll stop right there. I'm going to just review a little bit. I've already done it, and then we're going to go for broke. I said last week, referring to Jesus' brothers, as we made these Monday morning observations from this ancient narrative, we see in the case of Jesus, and what is true of Jesus is true of us who are also faithful to him, pressure to do God's work in the world's way is enormous. Jesus' brothers wanted him to go pyrotechnic, you know, do all the splash dance and all of that and go down to Jerusalem and put on a show for everybody like many try to do today in their evangelistic efforts. Pastors try to be rock stars. You see it all the time. Some of you, I realize, are young people. And of course, I'm young and I'll get old one of these days. You're supposed to be laughing. Uh, pastors want to come out and they want to wear these muscle shirts. Have you seen any of these muscle shirts 
and a gold chain comes down to their belly button. And then they want to wear Converse tennis shoes and uh, come out with these distressed jeans. I mean, they're only 50 or 55 years old. Could you see me getting up here in distressed jeans? And they want to do that, and they've got all these lights around them and all this tomb, 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 tomb going. Can you see Jesus doing that? Even if it were available? I can't see any honest, faithful servant of God who has a prophetic voice. I cannot see him doing that stuff. But they're all branded. They wear the same kind of stuff every week. There's a guy, I don't know him, but I see him all the time. And his brand seems to be black and white. And he comes out, and when the cameras go low enough, he has some kind of fancy boots clear up to here. He looks like an idiot. But apparently he doesn't know it. And apparently all those people sitting in front, that's not the Spirit of God in that. Jesus wasn't going to go Broadway. Down low is what our Lord was going to do. But pressure to do God's work and the world's way is enormous. That stuff has its appeal to worldly-minded people. It really does. It can draw a crowd. But Jesus didn't come to draw a crowd. He came to tell the truth. Anyway, as we move on, I want to say familiarity breeds contempt repeatedly in the ministry. Jesus knew that. And when he was moving on one occasion from Jerusalem back to Galilee, where they wouldn't accredit Jesus unless he showed his stuff in Jerusalem. Well, he had been doing all this and he got back to Galilee finally, and he got a little better hearing. But Jesus said in his words, a prophet has no honor in his own country. That's so very true. I'll tell you, you'll find this story maybe a little funny. I'm not telling it because it's funny. It's just, I remember a man who was an elder in a good-sized church in my native state. I was 29 years old. I'd been pastoring my church for five years, a small church, which you already know. Anything I do is small. They were involved in a pulpit search. I was just out of seminary pastoring my first church in a mega mega town, about 900 people, about 17 miles northwest of the capital where the man's church was located. They had a Sunday where they needed somebody. Well, my brother-in-law was in that church, and he said, well, my uh, brother-in-law's pastor down in Polka. You might call him, get him up here. So I went up to preach on a Sunday. That caused a bit of a problem. When apparently there was a groundswell, there was a groundswell of sentiment that maybe they were looking too far afield. They were looking at New York. Literally, they were looking at New York. When this 29 year old fellow was right there under their noses, somebody take a look at him. Well, that all ended abruptly. I'm talking about familiarity breeds contempt. It all ended abruptly when this distinguished elder, a very smart man, very devout man, whom I had known casually when I was 
a teenager. He said, oh, that won't work, talking about me. I've known Jimmy since he was a boy, and I can't get past that and see him now as my pastor and leader. So they went on searching for somebody from afar. However, in this case, I think they got the right man because the last I knew he had been there for 35 years. <laughs> so it worked out in that case, but often it works the other way. People, they can't see the lawyer who's right across the street that he may be just as good as somebody in New York City. The real estate person, the best re commercial real estate person doesn't have to be somebody from uh, Washington, D.C. They could be right here. But familiarity breeds contempt with the company or the person that's right under your nose. Then last week as we were ending, I emphasized that Jesus was so concerned about the timetable of his death. He exercised due diligence as the Son of God, and he was in lockstep with the Father, and he wasn't going to be pressured by getting out of that timetable and prematurely presenting himself for his death on the cross. Okay, I thought it was going to, it was going to be scream time. It's back again. I made the point that God's time is the only right time. We must be careful as believers who are following after the Holy Spirit to think and to pray and to do exactly what Jesus did and to wait on the Lord's time and not let circumstances pressure us into getting ahead of God's timetable. We don't always know when that is, but whenever it is, we will know. Now, The operation of the sovereignty of God is no excuse not to exercise human due diligence. And Jesus didn't let that happen. Now, here's something else that needs to be emphasized in these Monday morning observations we draw from this text. These people were bamboozled because here was this carpenter's son I mean, we're talking about Galilee. It was kind of a close neighborhood up there. And here was this guy, Jesus, he had been doing all these signs and wonders, but they still were not believing in him as the Messiah. Some kind of prophetic figure like John the Baptist, perhaps, but they couldn't see him as the Messiah. They wouldn't see him. Familiarity had bred contempt. And they said, okay, 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 we know he has all this knowledge I mean, he's no ordinary rabbi. I mean, listen to him speak. He's not just a good speaker. There are people who are good speakers. One of the best speakers I ever heard in my life was in our church back in Denver. The pastor used him occasionally. He was slick as ribbon. Everything was perfect from a speech standpoint but he didn't have an iota of the Spirit of God anywhere near his person. There was no power there. There was no authority there. And authority doesn't come with yelling and screaming, getting sweat all over your brow and, he lives, he lives. Then they start to roar, he lives, he lives. That's not power. That's a bunch of garbage. I know it and you know it. 
if we know the Lord. But Jesus, when he spoke, he didn't speak as the scribes. He didn't come on like some do. It says, Dr. So-and-so says, and Dr. So-and-so says, and Dr. So-and-so says, and you had all the footnotes up here to try to prove that you're a scholar. Jesus didn't footnote his messages. He seemed to speak on his own authority. He was speaking with the Father's authority. The Monday morning observation I would make and remind myself of, when the power of the Holy Spirit rests upon one of God's servants, nobody misses the lack of proper credentials. One of the greatest preachers we've known in modern times, many of you could tell me before I tell you, was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's long gone. He's not the only one. But almost everybody who knows anything knows that name. But he had the Spirit of God on him. He was what we call technically an autodidact. He was self-taught. I wish I'd read half as much as he read. He didn't tell anybody about it. But when he spoke, people listened because the Holy Spirit was on him. I've had a lot of education, but none of that makes power. And I would even like to have more, but I'm not going to get it. I believe in learning, so don't let anybody misunderstand me. I'm not a guy who looks at education and mocks it. You wouldn't have had as much as I've had if you mocked it. But at the same time, it doesn't make for the power of the Holy Spirit. When the power of the Holy Spirit is around, you kind of know it. When a man is called of God, and he speaks with the Spirit. He speaks with an authority that doesn't easily escape you. There's something different. And that's what they recognized about Jesus. They said the Jews, therefore, were marveling, verse 15. How did this man become learned? He speaks with all this understanding even when he was 12 years old, speaking in the temple. They were struck by that. Now Jesus tells them what I really wanted to get at here today. One point more. The power of the Spirit trumps all other kinds of religious authority. Next, we come to verse 17. Insight, you all know what this means, I don't think, until I develop it. Insight, spiritual insight, I'm not talking about in physics or medicine or law or other fields of human learning. I'm talking about spiritual insight. It depends on appetite. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. If any man, any woman, any person is willing to do God's will, he shall know the teaching. He'll understand about my teaching, Jesus says. 
he, she, that person will get it. They will know instinctively, intuitively, whether it is from God or whether I'm just out blowing gas of my own. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 2, if you would. Go back to the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 2. They won't, you won't see it up there if you're waiting on it. I didn't tell them to do this. If you will receive my sayings, chapter 2, verse 1, if you treasure my commandments within you, this is wisdom speaking personified. This is the voice of God. If you love wisdom, if you want wisdom, if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom, I really want it. I really want God's wisdom. If you will incline your heart to understanding, For if you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, if you seek wisdom, insight, as silver, search for her as for hidden treasures. They're that precious to you. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and will discover the knowledge of God. That's a promise. If you really want to know the wisdom of God, if you really want to know the truth, how do I know the truth? Hey, there's, listen, there's so many voices out there, and there are. Get on the social media, which we didn't used to have. That's why I didn't get so smart. I wasn't on social media for a large part of my life. (laughs) If you, in the midst of all of this cacophony of voices coming in from everywhere, How am I supposed to know what's the truth and what's not the truth? Well, how? That's a good question. And Jesus has got a very specific answer. It goes to the heart. It goes to your appetite. Really, yours and mine and everybody. You're listening to me, but there's this rabbi and that rabbi and some other rabbi. They're standing in the synagogues. And now you're listening to me and you say, well, he sounds learned. Pick one out. Which one are you going to listen to? Jesus says, and I say to you because Jesus said it to all of us. If you possess a heart that really wants to know the truth and to be able to separate between this voice and that voice and this apostle and that heretic, if you really want to know then I'll tell you what you've got to have. You've got to have a heart that has an appetite for the truth, a heart that can say honestly to God, look, I get confused. You know you can say to God, and I know that what I want is the truth, a proper understanding. I want discernment. I want when I hear this one and that one, be able to pick out those who are of the truth and aren't of the truth. So Jesus says, you'll know whether it's of God and whether I speak of myself and on my own recognizance and I've got no other authority backing me up. 
Boy, that is so important. Because in this world in which you and I are living, there is not a lot of discernment. I think I've said this before. I'm, uh, I find myself, and perhaps you do too, in a different mode. People once in a while give some subtle invocation because people are so worried. They don't like Christians out there. So I find myself when I see somebody who gives a hint that they may be a believer. Whereas 30 or 40 years ago, I'm going to say, hey, John, John Doe, you a believer, brother? Oh, yeah, shake hands, you know, all of that. These days, when people make professions of faith, I wonder if they're crazy of some kind. They're really this, that. I've gone by people in McDonald's. That's where I'm having to eat these days. They closed down Stanford's. And the food at the rest of the others is not very good. So I go to McDonald's, and there will be somebody with a Bible open. I think that's good. I'm suspicious. People listening to so many different voices, and they don't know Jesus from a bunny rabbit. If you want to know the truth, you really want to know the truth. You've got to have within you, God will give you that heart if you want. You've got to have a heart that really wants wisdom, really wants discernment, really wants to be able to separate between the true and the false. We're told about how hard this is. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul told us, I mean, this is back at the foundations of the church, basically. The Apostle Paul said, verse 13, but such men, he doesn't identify them, are false apostles. They're still around today, and would you believe it? They have the hunts to call themselves apostles. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. One of the biggest movements we have is, is kind of a subset of the Pentecostal movement. You've got these people calling themselves the new apostles, claiming that they've been to heaven, talked with Jesus, literally, literally and gain all kinds of authority with these poor people sitting in front of them. And Paul says, and no, one, and no wonder, this is still going on, folks. This is not history. Such men are of this group. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Well, these people are apt to have a lot of charisma donated by Satan. Unlike your pastor, be good looking. Handsome figures. And these days, many of them are women. And they often come with an accent. British accent is favored. Australian accent, which is just a subset, is also there. 
Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. But meanwhile, we've got to know how to separate them. And uh, I remember my dad, who was never as discerning as my mom. Uh, I had to intervene. He was listening way back there to Benny Hinn. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? Well, he would hear all that music, which sounded so evangelical. Then Benny would take over in his, you know, in his white, white stuff, which is a knockoff from Catherine Kuhlman, who was another lady that had a big following. And finally, Dad got it. And Billy Benny Hinn later admitted, if he didn't, his his grandson admitted it for him that he was a fraud how many people he had misled. And then there was another guy, another guy misled one of our ladies in this church. And uh, he would come on the platform. Wouldn't you like to see me this way? He had this, uh, what do you call that hair where it's all plaited? Tell me, Laura, you know. Dreadlocks. Dreadlocks. He had dreadlocks down to his heels. I kid you not. And he was coming on as this big evangelist. And this gal in our church, she kind of liked him. And uh, I tried to tell her. Later, he admitted, I've misled so many people. I didn't even know the gospel. How can you avert that stuff? You can have a heart in you that wants to know nothing more than God's truth. That will go to the Lord and say, Lord, all I want is to know the truth. Not to make you some kind of arch theologian, but so you have a good sniffer. You've got a good crap detector. My father-in-law was a little like that. He came to Christ. I've told you his story. Roy was not educated. He was very smart. But no way, eighth grade, that was it. But he'd say to us, and i say, Jimmy, I don't understand this. But he said, listen to this. What do you think about it? I say, you're right, Paul Paul. That's bad news. How do you know bad news? How do you know bad people? Listen, don't look to me as some kind of genius. Look to Jesus right here. Jesus said it. If any man, are you any person? If you want to know the truth about Jesus, if you want to know the truth about his Father in heaven, if you want to know the truth about the Holy Spirit, if you want to know the truth about salvation, the way of salvation, if you want to know the truth about how to walk with God and how not to, If you want to know, if you want to know how to stay on the main line of the truth, then just figuratively or literally get down on your knees and say, Oh God, I just want to know the truth. And if your mouth agrees with your heart, 
the Lord will lead you into that. And not necessarily by a straight line, but he'll lead you there. I'm not one to tell people how to mark up their Bibles. But I've got that one marked in my Bible. And we've got another one coming up in John chapter 8. I would say to you, that's a good verse to mark and tell people. Because people say, how am I, I hear it. How am I to know the truth? There are just so many voices. Your church, his church, that church, this denomination, that denomination, the Pope, and then you. How am I to know? You don't really have to be any genius. If you listen to some of the things that are said, you'll know they're not of God. Insight, to put it shortly, spiritual insight depends on spiritual appetite. With conformity to the will of God, there comes certainty about the truth of God. That's kind of a spiritual law. No one will find the truth until they want the truth. I speak to those of you out there, and there are always some, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know you don't know him, and you know you have not received him. you still got your defenses up. I close with this. The bottom line is that one has to have eyes to see, a heart to obey, and only God can give you that heart. I can't. On the other hand, if anyone seeks him, he promises that they will find him. Where's that? Where is that? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Listen to this, and this is not the only place it appears in the Old Testament. They're anticipating, Moses is anticipating a day when Israel will fall away from God, which they did again and again. But from there you will seek the Lord your God when everything goes to hell in a handbasket in the judgment of God. From there you will seek the Lord and promise of God, mercy, grace. You will find him. You will find him. If you search for him with all your heart. It's been true. It's still true. No one will find the truth until they want the truth. I say to you, if you're an unbeliever yet, you can come to church from now until the North Pole is the new Florida coast. Anyone who really seeks God's will, he promises, will discover the truth and be convinced of it. You hear people say, I'm just seeking the truth. No, you're not seeking the truth. You would have found it. You're seeking something other than the truth, the truth the way you want it. If people don't get it, it is because fundamentally they are not seeking it and they're not seeking it because down deep, no matter what they say, they don't want it except on their terms. And they don't want it because they are adverse to it. John chapter 3 said it. We've already been there. 
Listen to what Jesus says. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. Light came into the world first first and foremost in the sun. And here's the judgment. Men, human beings love the darkness rather than the light. They still do. Nothing is judged. not just them. That's now. People out there in the streets, they're nice people in many ways. As far as you and I are concerned, they're great folks. Fellow employees. We like them. We work with them. But where it comes to God, where it comes to the one is light, they reject him. And they reject him because they love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They don't want to be exposed. For everyone who does evil, everyone, that's you. That was me. And most in this, everyone who does evil hates the light. And you do evil. Because you are a sinner. You are a rebel. You reject God. They do not come to the light lest their deeds be exposed and they have to fess up and say, I am a sinner. I am lost. I'm a God rejecter. I'm a rebel. That's the reason you love the darkness and you don't want to be exposed by it. Do you know what one of the most familiar words today is in religious dialogue is today? Judge. Judge. I don't want anybody judging me. You people just run around judging others. We're not judging anybody. You say, I didn't know that. No. God has judged. God has said, this is right, this is wrong, this is wise, this is foolish. God has said, this is a lie, and this is the truth. No, we're not judging you. We've just been in court. And we've just heard the judge's verdict. And the judge says guilty. And we're going around reminding them they are guilty. They are guilty as God says. I didn't do the judging. I didn't stand up and say homosexuality is a sin. God did. I didn't stand up, though some of these things are necessary. They are necessary in this world where everything is so mixed up. God says, I hate divorce. I didn't say that. I'm not going around judging you. Many of you are divorced. We love you. And you've been forgiven. Maybe it wasn't even your fault. But we're not saying that. God said that. Some people are getting into the tranny thing. Well, we didn't say anything about it. God did says, this is not my design. He made them what? Male and female. He didn't make them something in between. God said it. God, I didn't say murder is wrong. God said it. I didn't say stealing is wrong. I didn't say lust is wrong. God said it. We're just like reporters passing on the message. Don't judge me. That's because your conscience is hurting. There's a clue right there. You need to deal with it because it can be forgiven. All of that be forgiven by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. If only you will receive it by faith. It's by grace. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so clear. We pray the Spirit of God would give eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to obey. And that those who don't know him would come to know him, pressured by the Spirit of God through his word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.